Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's literally impossible to make a game. I don't know if people talk about that or not. <laughs> Making game suck. From every, from so everything bad. I've heard. Bad. But also quite beautiful. But also. Yeah. Oh. In, in its own way. Yeah. yeah. Hello, my name is Ruby Innes and welcome to Pocket Buds, a back pocket podcast where I talk to my best buds about video games and stuff. Today, we're talking about Mystiques. Picture this. You're an antiquer in the home of a recently deceased individual. You're perusing through the many, many vases that sit covered in dust on the shelves. They all look to have been owned by someone's nan. You're not too sure how much these vases are worth, but you know that their value can rely on their condition, so it's important to give them a thorough look. As you check each one out, you seem to hear a soft voice in the back of your mind. Careful with that. I got that one from Vinny's for $5. It was a steal. Have you washed your hands? Uh-oh. All the vases are haunted by a doting old lady. Does this make them more or less valuable? That's for you to find out in Mystiques. Mystiques is a whimsical, haunted, antiquing adventure game being developed by Lemonade Games, a new studio based in Sydney. In it, You are tasked with inspecting all sorts of antiques to sell for a worthy price, and the antiques in question may or may not be housing some spooky ghosts. That's for you to find out. The game is in pre-alpha, and Lemonade Games has made it their mission to be as transparent about the development process as possible, so that those following the game can get a look into exactly what it's like for a small team to make a funky little game. Joining me today to talk about her history in the games industry, her thoughts on the local industry, her passion for insufferable women, and of course mystiques, is game director at Lemonade Games, Ali McLean Hennessy. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, of course, I'm joined by the lovely Ali McLean, who you may know as a video game lady, uh, you may know as my close personal friend, you may know as a cosplayer. You may know as a woman online <laughs> and a myriad of other things. <laughs> How would you define yourself? I didn't come on here to be insulted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, all of the above accurate. I don't do cosplay anymore, but I uh, do still make video games yeah. and I am still known to be online. It's true. I've seen it. <laughs> Someone who also goes online. You can't prove it. I've seen you there. I have receipts. <laughs> um. When did you stop cosplaying? Um, mm, oh God, I don't know. Probably like 
seven years ago, something or six years ago, something like that. It was around the time that I was working on sort of my first big game project that I was really heavily involved in. Mm. And I think development just like takes over your whole life. And also like realistically, um, much as I loved doing cosplay, like for me, it was a path into getting into games. And so I got into games and mission accomplished. Well, that's the funny thing is there's so many different paths into games, right? Like it's, it's, I, uh, I would argue I, I I tripped and fell over. And when I <laughs> fell over, I had blood all over my knees and I looked down under my hands and I was in the video game What we industry. can agree upon is that no one would ever do it on purpose. <laughs> it's always on accident, constantly. Um, I, like, I, I came from radio and like to come. Which is objectively much cooler. It so is sort of. Uh, I have so many regrets. <laughs> <laughs> I think about it a lot. I'm like, oh, maybe I should just go back to community radio. Uh, oh, yeah. But like, not. It's not paid. This is the podcast where I convince you to quit. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so this is the. Ep- it's it's going to be the title, the episode where Ruby quits video games. I did dedicate several years of my life to convincing women to get into the games industry, and now I'm sort of pivoting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're like, get out of it. Get out <laughs> of here. It's not good. <laughs> get out. <laughs> You're like the the um, anti uh, co-owner of Koei Tecmo. Um, I've got her her name leaves me, but she's the co-founder of Koei Tecmo. Uh, she f- co-founded it with her husband, and um, she uh, had a studio called uh, Ruby. I think Ruby Games or something like that. Um, this sounds like a web of lies that you're making. No, up. no, 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 no. It was, it was in, it was in my International Women's Day article in oh, Kotaku. She, uh, and she had a studio within Koei Tecmo that, um, pretty much, uh, uh, developed the first dating sim. Oh, cool. Um, and they, uh, the way that she, uh, the, sorry, the, the big part of it is the entire stu- uh, studio was women. Nice. And she basically just picked and chose women from like different industries, all kind of like tech stuff, uh, pick and chose them. And then we're like, I'm going to teach you how to work in game development and you're going to work in my studio. Yeah, that's sick. I think like, like cross-functional career paths, like not even like into games with the goal of like staying in games, but even just studios that work with other creative industries on a game project. I find like those are some of the most refreshing games that I've played recently like Gubbins is amazing and Gubbins they work really closely with um oh my god I've forgotten Jackie Winter the design agency who yeah. are you know obviously not game specialists but you can tell when you play that game that it comes from like a really refined design and aesthetic sensibility yeah, yeah I think you just feel it so much in the experience I would say the same about um Ember Lab yes did uh uh oh my god my brain is just not working today <laughs> I loved that game uh yeah, I'm forgetting the name as well. You're, yeah, you know what I'm talking. Yeah, uh, Kina, Kina Bridge of Spirits. Yes. Jesus, yes, Christ. and they're an animation studio. Yeah, they're an yeah. animation. They did that incredible Majora's Mask animation that everybody knew them for. Yeah, and then uh, one thing led to another, and they're like, "Oh, we're making a game." Kina Bridge of Spirits came out. People were not kind to that game, despite it being an animation studio's very first video game. And it was, I played it. I think like launch week, and mm. it was incredibly refined. Or oh, a studio's first game. Polish. I do think that like animation as a discipline is incredibly um, underserved in the games industry. I think it's often thought of, and I've been guilty of this myself as like a as a producer and as a director. You think of animation as like a layer on top of the game, but it informs so much about the player experience. Is like um, even just the sense of you can fake so much that isn't there in the code and isn't there in the design with mm. just like the little touches that an animation can, can inform um, you, the player feedback. It can just inform your connection to the character. It can inform, it can really smooth out rough edges <laughs> in a game as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, often like animation as a discipline is not treated with the same respect. Uh, yeah, respect and like resourcing and like level of importance and like inclusion in like design conversations and like kickoffs for meetings, that mm. kind of thing. Um, well, that's the funny thing is like, uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> video game, the video game industry in Australia is uh, not well-funded. 
it's it's getting better, but it's not realistically, and it it needs to get better. But <laughs> if we're talking about industries that are creative industries that are underfunded, the animation industry, yeah. you got Bluey, and that's it. Yeah, Bluey got so much, and great great for them. Bluey rocks. I'm very pro Bluey, but uh, the animation industry in Australia is very limited for a reason, and it's because there's just not a lot of funding. Mm-hmm. I, I know a studio, uh, Chalk Chip Animation. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're in Melbourne, and these uh, two girls doing their shit, making this little uh, animated web series. It's it's fantastic, and uh, like it's. I, I saw some comments like, "Oh, when is this coming out?" Like, "Oh, it's been ages." It's like, yeah, there's two. It's, of it's us. Two, there's two of them. Are yeah. You like, and and they're they're not getting. Uh, uh, funding from the government or anything screw australia isn't supporting they should um they're just doing their own thing give them a minute huh (laughs) give them a minute that's the difficulty i think of sharing anything that you're working on early is people are so trained now to like see the first thing and then like get the instant gratification of like and now you'll give me the entire product coming out yeah it's streaming (laughs) and you can watch it right now like uh but when you're an independent team, you're always sort of weighing up between do we share something early and like start building like a grassroots following for this thing and like bring people along for the journey, knowing that they're probably going to be disappointed with how long it takes to make the thing or do we wait and then only share it when it's sort of like too late to adjust anything to feedback or to like have enough time to build a community if you don't have like a massive marketing budget to do that overnight or like a giant IP to like leverage an audience from. Um, So it's really hard. Well, on that note, actually, um, your game that you're working on, Mystiques, uh, uh, from my research, uh, I know that your team has kind of made it, uh, I guess, part of your mission to be very, very transparent uh, with the development process. What kind of sparked that decision? Yeah, look, I think, so Inga, Adam and I were the co-founders of Studio Lemonade and all of us have worked in the game industry for a reasonable amount of time now. We've all had a lot of experience working on games that took a really long time. We weren't allowed to talk about, um, you know, under NDA or took a really long time and then got canceled and we never got Classic. to tell anyone about awesome. it. You know? <laughs> um, and so for us, like, we want the experience of everything that we make at Lemonade to be really joyful and to be uh, about genuine connection between people we think that like it's not just about I mean obviously it's massively about the game that you make at the end of the day but it's also about the process of making the thing you spend most of your life making stuff and so you have to make the experience of making the thing as enjoyable as possible and part of that for us is being able to share stuff even if it's like this thing might not end up in the game or it's going to change massively before the game comes out just being able to share the joy of like creation is a really important part of making games for us absolutely and and what would you say has been uh your favorite part of the creation of mystique so far because you know Mm. it's still so early days so a new favorite thing might pop up uh tomorrow you know but what what, what's been your favorite part so far yeah i mean there are so many things i think like for me i've the games industry is not an easy place to work and Mm. i've been really lucky in my career so far but i've also struggled a lot you know working in companies that sort of had very different values to me or sort of dealing with just being a woman like navigating um a classic the burden of being abroad <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna expand upon it but i don't feel like i don't need no to. I don't know what really i mean don't <laughs> but like by all means if you'd like to <laughs> this will be a three-hour podcast <laughs> um and, and I also like, I've, I was so fortunate to make this game Rumu, which was um, very early in my career. And I worked with Adam, who's one of the co-founders of Lemonade on Rumu. And we got really lucky in that, like, we were working on that game within a company that weren't really used to making games and also had a lot of other stuff going on. And so they weren't really paying a lot of attention to us. <laughs> and awesome. so it meant that we got to have this very organic discovery of the game making process together. And we got to tell a story that we really cared about and we got to really put our whole heart and soul into it. It's very rare that you get to do that ever in your entire career. And so we got really lucky to do that really early. It also means that we were very spoiled because 
we had that experience. It's, it was not a sustainable experience. We couldn't keep doing that forever. Yeah. And so we then had to go off and work in other companies. And I'm really grateful, obviously, blah, 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 PR stuff for all the other companies. Being employed is good. I love all I of love, my past employers. I love all bosses. Um, They're my best friends. I love paychecks. <laughs> 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 love money, love making it, <laughs> getting paid, awesome. Um, but I have, you know, had to go on and work on games that, we're not my games. Like we're not the thing that I was most passionate yeah. about making. And so I think the most joyful part about mistakes is that it is like completely us as artists. It is who we are. And it's a true expression of, you know, the kind of thing that we want to put out into the world. And um, there's just so like, we all went away at the end of last year. We all, the whole team went away. We rented an Airbnb in the Blue Mountains and Ooh. it was in between two antique stores. <laughs> the oh. game is about antiquing, by the way. Um, yeah. And uh, we just spent a few days just like game jamming, just like thinking about not just what game we're making, but like why are we making this game and why is it special to us and why is this a story that we want to tell? And um, I just, I mean, it's just so, it's such an incredible privilege to get to have an experience like that and share it with people that you really care about and that you vibe with creatively and I mean if the game never comes out I just have loved making it so far <laughs> yeah that's beautiful and, and I mean uh uh the the concept of haunted antiquing where did that come from yeah so my friend Sean who's working on the game we were working together at a studio uh, a big studio working on like lots of sort of work for hire projects and Sean and I used to have coffee together every morning and we would just talk about our lives and everything and share stories. And one day he told me the story about how he used to work for an antiques dealer and his job was like going to dead people's houses and like going through all their stuff. Um, and I was <laughs> oh, like, well, man. bro, that sounds like a game. Um, yeah. And obviously it's me. So therefore I had to add some kind of like spooky element <laughs> to it. Of course. Um, when I think back of like every game I've ever pitched or myself, it's always in some way about dead people's houses. <laughs> <laughs> so what if you were in a house? <laughs> like, so spoilers if you haven't if you haven't finished playing Rumu, but you've come out a long time ago, but th those bitches are dead. Saws. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, I also think like, um, I. I think there's a big like antiquing community online, lots of different like subsets of those communities as well. And there's obviously a very strong crossover with people who are interested in like spooky stuff. Yeah. So we think there's a, there's a good audience for that. Absolutely. And uh, uh, how have you kind of, cause like, I mean, I, I own, I, I think, I think I own some kind of antiques, so really vintage stuff. Right. Uh, but the, the act, I would argue that the act of antiquing, could be seen as a very kind of elderly sport. <laughs> so how have you uh, how are you guys kind of addressing adding, you know, twists and turns to the antiquing experience? Yeah, I think so much of it is about discovery. I think the joy of discovery. So if you have ever spent some time rummaging through an antique store, you know that the moment of glee when you find something special oh, yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that it's valuable, but just something that speaks to you, like a weird little fucked up statue of a frog or something. It's usually what happens to you me. You mean a cool little <laughs> fucked up statue of a frog? <laughs> um, and so I think that translates across all demographics, you know, the joy of discovery. I'm also a really big fan of um, like detective style gameplay. Yeah. And I find that there's essentially mistakes is a detective game even though it is about antiquing and shop management like mechanically it's very much a detective game you're exploring these spaces you're sort of uncovering clues and it's like gentle layering of like inspection puzzles which is very much like detective and um deduction gameplay which i think appeals to a lot of people outside of people who are like purely interested in antiques yeah what would you uh, uh what would you say is the best uh antique find you've found Ooh. in an antique store i recently found um i've been really interested there's this podcast called antiques freaks uh which is a cool. great show anyone <laughs> awesome. would like to listen to it um and they did a whole episode about uh blow molds which are these like old-fashioned um i'm gonna explain this so badly old-fashioned decorative items like um the original like lawn flamingo is sort of like one of the oh, most yeah. popular blow, mo blow molds but there's a lot of them are for like seasonal ones so like 
Halloween, like vintage Halloween blow molds are really cool. Mm. And I did find one that was um, just like a, a little ghost that hangs out in your backyard. And he's just so cute. So that's that's my number one. I mean, interesting that it's a ghost. <laughs> interesting. I'm, re- I'm reflecting mm. on my choices. <laughs> We're all learning mm. things today. Seems like everything connects somehow. <laughs> I found uh, that there's a, a antiques shop near my um, near my house, uh, my new house, and uh, it had these beautiful glasses, like a, a pack of five glasses, all different colors, and they all had like these like. Very, very old school floral designs on them. Mm. Very, very fragile, thin glass. <laughs> I am the world's clumsiest woman in the sense that I think I should win an award for it. And I think I should break that award on accident. Uh, and I, uh, during our move, I was pulling something out from uh, a shelf. And in front of that thing that I was pulling out were those glasses all stacked on top of each other. I don't know why I didn't see them. I think my brain just sort of blocked them out for a second. As I pulled that out, all of them fell to the floor. Oh, no. God. And I was like, oh. Anyway, it it gets worse when you think about how old it is and how many people – like took care of it and how long it lived (laughs) and And how quickly it died (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah i i have an obsession with um lobster plates which is something that was big in like the 60s and 70s and uh i have i have six of them oh my god Oh, that rust. I recently got one for a wedding present. That's how much people know that I'm obsessed with them. And that's probably my prized possession now that I think about it. It's a, it's like a little a dish that's like a big lettuce leaf or a cabbage leaf. Yeah. And it's got three little tiny red, like hyper-realistic sculpted red lobsters holding up. <laughs> They're like presenting the dish to you. That rocks. This is so... something so... <laughs> fucked up about it like like these lobsters are are some kind of servant (laughs) they're like you go master (laughs) that rocks so hard and uh and we spoke about your history of cosplay um and you know you're also wearing a very fashionable dress right now so i would say that you know you have a history of turning looks (laughs) Right. And I live to serve. You live to serve. Um, Your Honor, she's slaying, I fear. <laughs> um, but the characters in Mystiques also, I fear, are slaying. That's and I so fear true. because it's haunted um, and I get scared. Uh, <laughs> would you say that um, your unequivocal slays have kind of had like an influence on the designs of the characters? I, I'd actually really like to talk about the character designs. I feel like I've been waiting for this question my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yeah. um, Genuinely, the fashion in Mystics was really important to me. It was a big part of the initial conceptualization of the game. Um, When I I talk about the game to people, I tell them it's about four insufferable women (laughs) who who run a failing antique store. And their fashion... You know, obviously, like, in all character design, the clothes that they're wearing is reflective of their personality, whatever. Mm. But for me, it's important that they look completely insane. Yeah. I think that um, I'll give you a little plug for a talk that I'm going to do in in October. I don't know if this podcast is going to come out before then. But um, uh, I'm doing a talk at Free Play Parallels, and it is called In Defense of Insufferable Women. Um, And the... I think that fashion systems historically in games have been really uh, undervalued and under-resourced. I think often we think about fashion just as like customization and cosmetic, whereas to me fashion is about self-expression and it's also about, it's reflective of how we evolve as people, how we dress and how we choose to express ourselves and how we present ourselves to the world. Um, And that's true of I think everybody, regardless of whether you have an interest in like fashion as an industry and fashion as an art form, the way that you choose to clothe yourself and present yourself to the world, it means something. It means something to you. And so um, in our game, fashion not just doesn't just exist as something that's beautiful and fun to play with, which is like, that's enough. That's great. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but it also exists as a way to um, 
unlock additional experiences within the game. So if you are the kind of player who's particularly interested in learning more about sort of the inner life of our characters and the way that they interact with each other and the things that they're interested in, <laughs> then um, if you choose to uh, pursue collecting fashion items and equipping fashion items, you will actually get to experience more about the inner life of our characters and the way they interact with each other. Because, I mean, like, what is going to be more of a conversation starter than walking into a room wearing the most obnoxious coat that you could possibly find. <laughs> Ask me where I bought this. <laughs> People are going to want to know things about oh, you yeah. and your life. <laughs> <laughs> what if what if you, what if you were four of the worst bitches you've ever met? That's right. But you also look fucking incredible. That's great. I mean that's the game I want to play. I genuinely oh, want more games about women who just suck. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that I think there is a genuine fear in uh the the games industry of uh because you know what i love when girls in games me love when women in games uh, <laughs> so true me love when women be in game existing game um in all forms so like when they're when they're you know when they're slaying rock and when they're when they're good awesome when they're the hero amazing but i feel like there's a fear of making a woman suck. Yeah. <laughs> making a woman who's a dickhead. Yeah. I don't right? know about you, but I suck. Yeah. I say some <laughs> shit. Like if I were in a game, if I were in a game, I, I would, I would want to be represented right. Right. Saying some dog shit. Right. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm an idiot. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I have no shame about that. And so like for me, representation for idiots. Absolutely. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Dude. Like it's okay for a woman in a game to be fucking dumb, or is it just so be a stupid. bitch? Like it's totally just a fine. Bitch, yeah. Like it's it's totally fine to be psycho about stuff. Like oh, yeah. we're all psycho about stuff. And for me, like so, in our game, our main character Gem, she is kind of in her early twenties, and she's going through that stage in her life where she has these really big dreams, but um, the the sort of confines of her world are really collapsing in around her and. Um, I'm going to go down a path here. Go ahead, please, please <laughs> go down a path. I don't know if you know path. what a tulpa is. A tulpa. No, I've heard of that. It's a thing that like David Lynch is obsessed with, if that yeah. gives you any kind of window. Awesome. But it's basically, also if you ever go on like r slash tulpas on Reddit, it got, it's so interesting. Uh, but for the, for the, uh, the, the unknownst <laughs> in the crowd, yeah. what is a tulpa? So... Um, it's <laughs> another question I've been just dying for someone to ask me. <laughs> yeah, I've been told uh, I'm the, like the best interviewer. <laughs> so I know all the secret questions. <laughs> so a tulpa is um, it's like a thought form. So it's like um, Santa Claus, for example, right. something that we make real by believing that it's real by thinking about it. Um, so it's it's the idea that like human beings can sort of will something into existence. Mm. And so for Jem, who's our main character, she develops psychic powers after having a particularly bad day. Uh, and suddenly <laughs> these psychic powers like unlock a totally different perspective on the world, different perspective on the people around her and on herself and her, her power and like what she can do in the world. Um, she is not a particularly, she doesn't use those powers in a particularly noble fashion. Like she starts to sort of let her like capitalist urges take over and she sort of uses them in a uh, in a way that is more about 
if I can, you know, unlock the history of this beautiful lamp and the person who owned it and their relationship with their family and like the fact that they left it behind for their child and their child never received it, you know, Gem is always going to make the choice to then be like, okay, well, how much can I sell that for? (laughs) (laughs) Seems it's got mystic value. And also monetary value. <laughs> it basically could be a line in the game. Yeah. So, um, well, Hey, if you, if you need a writer, <laughs> I know the secret questions. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we sort of bring like Tulpa theory into the game in that way where it's like there is always a question of are these visions and these psychic experiences that Jem is having, are they real or are they her sort of deciding that she is an all-powerful being and then like <laughs> using that confidence to sort of brute force her way through the world and through life. Um, I just love, I love a story about a, a psycho woman deciding to succeed. Absolutely. And like, <laughs> she sounds very fascinating. I'd also love to hear about the other characters you've got in store, if possible. Yeah, I can I tell you, I can tell you a bit about Aspen, who is Jem's best friend in the game. She's got the green fuzzy coat. She's everyone's fave uh, when, the, when they've played our demo so far. So um, Aspen is just the most aggressive person. (laughs) (laughs) Aspen is sort of responsible for a lot of the like day-to-day functioning of the store. And so she's very commercially minded. Um, Also Aspen is the kind of person that she has a really special relationship with Jem, but she would never admit it. She would never call her her best friend, but she is sort of quietly devastated at the idea of Jem ever leaving and ever getting out of the town that they live in. That's like that's like me and Gus. I always call <laughs> Gus my best friend and uh, I'm, I always egg him on to say it back. It's the same. It's the same it's thing. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Um, so Aspen, you know, she's always tagging along. She comes with you on your antiquing missions. She keeps you on, on track with the stuff that you need to get done in the store, but she also is sort of making sure that Jem doesn't get too big for her boots because she doesn't want her to leave. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that's another like aspect of like the, um, you know, bad girl. Yeah. The insufferable kind of a toxic woman. friend. Yeah, yeah. Bad friend. It's like she can, she's great and she's she's super fun to hang out with, but like maybe you shouldn't consult her on your life choices. <laughs> if you if you want to move, don't tell her. <laughs> yeah. She might sabotage that. Also, she, do not ever complain to your uh, to her about your boss because she will kill them. <laughs> <laughs> They're dead, yeah. and you might have. Blood she on will your find head. their address. <laughs> it's not your ho- fault, but it actually might be. <laughs> unfortunately, so how would you compare your experience with um, developing mistakes compared to your other experiences in the industry? I, I know we talked a little bit about it at the start, but would love to expand on it a bit. I think. A lot of the places that I've worked, you know, again, I love all my employers, but I (laughs) work uh, rocks. (laughs) Work is so good. Um, I think that, you know, I grew up with a real appreciation for Barbie games and like The Sims and all of these sort of big IPs that like are now very iconic, like particularly Barbies, like really having a moment. Mm. And I hope that that leads to a resurgence in like slightly more interesting Barbie games and stuff coming back. Like I would love a detective Barbie game again. Well, Bratz Flaunt Your Fashion came out last year and I I reviewed that uh, positively. Yeah, I saw your review. I thought it was so much fun. And and it wasn't trying to be any more than Mm -hmm. your classic licensed game. And yet I still think it did really well in that aspect. You you dress up your Bratz fucking rocks and you could choose which one you were and I always chose Jade because she's so me but like uh there there is the capacity for licensed games to be good and I think there are plenty of developers who want to make them good and not Mm -hmm. just kind of like a quick cash grab and I feel like with the Barbie movie being so successful maybe there could be that resurgence because so many Barbie games were just on browser they were Mm -hmm. just web games hopefully the video game industry sees that and goes Maybe we should invest in Barbie again. People would play Barbie games. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, ultimately, it's it's up to Mattel, like, where they choose to give that license to. And certainly they've done a lot of, like, mobile stuff recently, which, um, you know, fine. Mobile is I've, – I've grown to appreciate uh, uh, mobile games that are made with love. 
Oh, and there yeah. are so many great ones as well, like Mini Metro, for example. Mini Metro, Gubbins. To me. Yeah, Gubbins. Uh, Gubbins playing... slaps. It goes so hard. Everyone should be playing Gubbins. Everyone should play Gubbins. I've been playing Hello Kitty Island Adventure. Oh, have, is that good? Fantastic licensed I game. Saw, Arguably yeah, one of the best licensed games. I saw some trailers for that, and I was like, this sort of looks like it was made for me personally. It rocks. It rocks so yeah. hard. And the, the Sunblink team, they're from Colorado. They rock. They are yeah. like diehard Hello Kitty fans. The 1.1 update to this game, they were like, we listened to your feedback. You can now craft multiple things. And it is Hell yeah. one of the, it, like, it's, it's, it's a hard thing of like, you can't answer everybody's questions. Yeah. You can't solve everybody's problems in a game. Uh, over time, you can probably fix every bug, but then sometimes a new bug will come up. Every and that's time just you life. fix a bug, there's a new bug. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that fix became a problem and yeah. it rocks. It's literally impossible to make a game. I don't know if people talk about that enough. <laughs> <laughs> Making game suck. <laughs> from every, from so everything bad. I've heard, bad, but also quite beautiful. But also, yeah. oh. in its own way. Yeah. yeah. And, I think, and that's kind of, I think, what I was getting at is that I have worked on you know, small indie games. I've worked on AAA games, cancelled AAA games, licensed games, original IP, and a lot of them for other people. And for me, much as like, I would have told you probably five years ago, like working on like a Barbie game would have been a dream come true for Mm. me. And at one of my jobs, I was definitely like exposed to the development of a a license project with Mattel. and by all accounts, they seem very nice to work with. But I think being exposed to all these different forms of game making and all these different types of intellectual property, um, mm. what I have learned from that is that I'm not going to experience the like transformation of self as an artist that I am looking for in making games by working on other people's IP and working on other people's games. Um, that's not to say that I don't enjoy it. And there's lots of parts of it that are an incredible privilege to get mm. to do as a job. Like it's a very silly job. Oh yeah, like- <laughs> And I absolutely love it. Um, but for me as an artist, like the part of me that just wants to uh, fully express myself in the way that I see the world, I think that making games like Mystics is, is what I need to do. Like it mm. is in my soul that I need to do this. And so um, that's how it's different. That's how making mistakes is different to the other things that I've done. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, it is such a different experience to make something that is yours, right? Yeah. Uh, and and you know, mistakes. Uh, and sorry, Studio Lemonade. Um, you're all Sydney based, uh, except for Sean, who's down in Melbourne. Who's down in Melbourne? And how have you found uh, kind of? making this new studio and, and, and working on this game in Australia in, in yeah. with, with what we've got. And in New South Wales, it's hard. In New South it's, Wales, especially. It's yeah. really hard. And, um, you know, for a long time, I've had a dream of starting a studio and I've been, you know, quite intentionally making choices in my career to try and get the experience. I felt like I needed to do it responsibly. So I see a lot of people, dive straight into making a studio like straight out of university or whatever, which I think is very brave and and very cool. Incredibly brave. You know, but I also have worked at a lot of studios that were started by people who maybe weren't ready. (laughs) And and I know that the, it's a huge responsibility because there's, there is the part of you that's an artist that just wants to like, you know, and it's so egomaniacal. It's like, I just want to like make my thing and put it out into the world and like influence the world with my art. Um, And that in itself is, is beautiful and special. But starting a studio is also starting a business and starting a company that people's livelihoods depend upon and, like, you have a really big impact on people's mental health and, like, the way that they engage with art making as well. And so I wanted to make sure that I was ready to do that properly and feel like I knew at least, like, enough to not massively ruin anyone's life <laughs> with starting a company. Um, I don't feel like I, I'm there, but, you know, unfortunately, me the the time that it took for me to be ready really coincided with like massive uh, economic downturn globally. Crazy. <laughs> that we love a recession to start right really? when you're ready to start a company. <laughs> I'm ready. Unfortunately, the world is not maybe. Not ready for us. Um, and it's also hard, I think, um, you know, I've certainly done a lot of pitches to rooms of people who don't fully understand that, you know, they're, there is an audience for this kind of game. There is an audience for a game about women that isn't just about 
a woman being like a perfect military politician, you know, and that, uh, or or isn't just like a miserable traumatic story about the life of being a woman. Like that, it can you can tell a joyful story about girlhood that is playful and fun, and where people are not perfect characters, and um, that still has like systematic depth and like gameplay depth and. Uh, a nuance to it and that people want those kind of games I really believe that people want those kind of games but um you know it's not it's not easy getting money for that oh yeah and I think there's this weird uh uh kind of idea in the industry where it's like oh there's an audience for this but there's not an audience for that when realistically it's kind of an audience for everything. Mm-hmm. There are just so many people. <laughs> like <laughs> that is so true. There's just so many. people Have you ever thought about how many people there are? <laughs> there are just so many people in the world that like different things. Yeah. And and like even if you think it's the most niche idea, uh, there's a good chance there's going to be quite a number of people who are into it. I think yeah. I think you can kind of look at the same. Thing with with like uh, content creation, for example, with YouTube, like someone mm-hmm. will make a a, a three hour long video mm-hmm. on a, a an adult animation that you've never heard of that had one season and then it was cancelled and mm-hmm. and and it was kind of one of the best things ever made, but not many people had ever heard of it, uh, and that gets hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of views because there is uh, uh, an interest in the niche, you know? And I think, I think even more, now games. more than ever, like, it is almost impossible, like, unless you have a deranged amount of money, unless you're making the Barbie movie, <laughs> yeah. to reach everyone. Mm. And so instead going in the opposite direction, going more specific, going for a very targeted audience, I think is a is actually a cleaner path to success. I think if my studio started and tried to make... Um, a game that appealed to everyone, I think we'd be setting ourselves up for failure. Yeah, and but but and, and yeah, and it's it's have you have you found um, the industry in terms of like uh, other studios, other people working on games to be receptive to the game as well? Oh yeah, I mean, I've always thought of the like independent development community to be very supportive and certainly mm-hmm. it's a place where like I really found a sense of community in my life like in my early career and some of my closest friends I met through that space and uh but even knowing everything that I knew I've still been really shocked and overwhelmed by the support that the community has shown for us in starting a studio and making mistakes and complete strangers like people that I've never met before who know nothing about me who are willing to spend their time like reviewing our pitch decks and giving us feedback or giving us insight into like recent conversations that they've had with funding partners and stuff, because it seems like genuinely we all want each other to succeed. And that is a really beautiful, affirming, like heartwarming experience to have. Sorry to be so earnest. No, I think being (laughs) earnest is awesome. I, um, I, I had like a moment the other day where I'm like, no, being sincere is very fucking cool. Being (laughs) earnest and sincere is awesome. Being kind is awesome. Being a nice person is very pog. Like it's, it's, and, and (laughs) speaking your truth and being honest about how, uh, uh, nice it is when something is the way it is. I think it's great. I think, I think being earnest rocks. So don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. It rocks. (laughs) Being earnest is just as cool as being super ironic and, (laughs) Uh, you know, saying something stupid. I think it, it it's all good. It's <laughs> fine. It rocks, in fact. Thank you, Ruby. And that's awesome, you know. And, and I feel like there is such, uh, from what I've seen with the independent games industry in Australia, I feel like because we went through, I say we, I'm, I'm on the outside looking in, you know. But, I do but, consider you to be one of us. <laughs> I come from a perspective of uh, doing a lot of research and also spending time with a lot of developers and stuff and and uh, looking at kind of the history of game development in Australia. And, like, there was that period of, like, oh, fuck, there's no more money going into this yeah. industry. Everybody is leaving. And there was this moment of panic and, like, few studios survived. Like, you had Wargaming Sydney. They mm-hmm. survived. And, like, great for them. 
mm-hmm. was awesome. And now they riot. Like, and it, it that that's an interesting thing that happened. But like, they were one of the very few studios to still kick it. And it's because before like, they were wargaming, they were big world. Exactly. Yeah. Like they just uh, it's it's uh, they evolved mm-hmm. right. And and uh, evolving was one of the few ways that your studio kind of could survive during mm-hmm. that time in in what like the 2010s. Yeah. And during the GFC. Exactly. And so in these in these past few years it's kind of all coming back you know like the government is putting more funding into the video games industry but as well while uh from you know all accounts working on video games in australia still is hard Mm -hmm. there seems to be a lot more hope yeah i think it's it's hopeful it is a bit scary as well because obviously like the australian dollar is not great right now um and so that means that you know we do draw attention from international investors who see us as like an affordable option Mm. uh, which is not really sustainable because the dollar won't stay this low forever and that's kind of exactly what happened with the gfc is that we got a lot of overseas investment and then when it wasn't so cheap anymore it all went away and all like hold on wait wait a second i gotta go why are we all flying Buh. all the way to Australia? All That's the really far away when I think about it. That so sucks, actually. We will no longer make Bioshock here. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. Oh, um, it's fucked. But so it is kind of scary when you see something like that happen. I do think that like we're lucky in a way that there are still really key influences within our industry who were here during the GFC and went through that and can kind of be our sages and you like tell us about yeah. what went wrong and the sort of what to avoid. I do think that we, ha- we have become more cognizant of, you know, deals like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there are some studios that are doing really exciting work, you know, that isn't necessarily like dependent on federal government funding. Yeah. Like you've got a studio like Lumi making kind of world, um, who have done their own, you know, investment round and raised a huge amount of money and are yeah. doing very, very well. Studios like that are incredible. Um, I think, I think, uh, uh, from from how I see it, at least, I think a lot of the hope as well comes from each other. And mm-hmm. I know that sounds so cheesy, but like the the independent industry in uh, Australia is just so supportive of one another. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because we can't like. It's kind of like the little guys, right? Like, like Australia, the Australian games industry has kind of had to build itself back up, and mm-hmm. that's it's a grassroots movement. Like, it's people, it's it's quote unquote little people all working together to get their games out of the door yeah. and make shit happen. And and the hope uh, of of the industry doing better and better comes from the grassroots movement of all these video game developers making their own shit uh, Mm -hmm. because it's all they can really do. That's right. And like, you know, we were joking earlier about how no one would get into games on purpose, (laughs) but I do think that like a lot of people do accidentally end up in this space, but you only stay on purpose because you have to constantly make the choice to refuse to leave, you know, despite many obstacles and Mm. Many other options, you know, there's lots of other careers that you can take out of games. Yeah. Um, but the people who stay, I think, are here because they really want to be here and they have something to do. They have something to say and they have something that they want to make. And um, I think it would surprise people, I think, how there is absolutely no sense of competition between developers and between studios. I have never had the experience and I have approached basically every game developer in the country. <laughs> I, I've never had the experience of someone being unwilling to share information, um, being unwilling to talk about their experience, being unwilling to like play test your game and give you feedback. I've literally never had anybody say no. Yeah. It's just a, and I think that's pretty incredible. Yeah. It rocks. Well, I think uh, we've been chatting for just the right amount of time <laughs> oh you thought i was gonna say too long no perfect amount of time actually uh, no i thought you'd say it was perfect I'm yeah, perfect because i'm perfect because this is a perfect episode of a podcast <laughs> just two, perfect with two perfect girls who have zero flaws and are sufferable That's not so insufferable true. we're so sufferable I, and i i've always said that about uh, us yeah i've i've always said that about us too um so i just want to say thank you so much for coming on uh how can people learn more about mystique's 
You can follow us on uh, twitter.com. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely what it's still that's, called. That's what it is to me. Uh, <laughs> Mystique's Game. We're also on TikTok and Instagram if you want to check us out. Um, like I said, like we are early in development. So everything that we share is very like sneak peek. What do you think of this? And if you're into that kind of thing, then definitely like come along for the journey. And a big thank you to you for listening. If you're liking what you're hearing, why not give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you're using? Better yet, why not give us a nice little review? This one comes from Bibby Boy. And it says, if you see a podcast with Ruby listed as the host, you're going to have a good time. She's a sensational talent eh, and does a brilliant job eh, of holding engaging conversations about video games. Eh, eh, eh. Uh, plus the backpack crew always brings the goods with good quality production value. Even if Ruby and Gus don't like Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom's minimalism. <laughs> but thank you so much, BB Boy. Much, much love. And hey... If you really like what you're hearing and you'd like to hear more, consider supporting Back Pocket over on Patreon where you can get access to our lovely Discord for all sorts of buds. If you support us at a certain tier, you can get access to even more audio content just like this. Bonus content, baby. You can also find us on Twitch where we've got our main live show every Thursday from 7pm AEST. And on TikTok where we're constantly posting very good stuff for you to cast your big, beautiful eyes on. And then there's the socials, which you can always get around as well. There's X... The threads, whatever. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And as a funny little ghost inside a old, old vase would say, bye. <laughs> Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.